This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ, this is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas, and as usual, I have the all-important Johnny Walker. Um, more often than not, it's it's uh, it's Jack Daniels. My guest <laughs> joining me on the other side is Stephanie Senef, and it's nine o'clock in the morning where you are, so I'm very mm-hmm. much doubting, Stephanie, that you have a Jack Daniels or Johnny Walker. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've just got water. And the reason why you are literally 12 hours behind me uh, is because I am in Cape Town and you are in Hawaii. You are extremely qualified, multiple degrees. You are a senior researcher at MIT uh, from, what, computer science to biogenetics the last, what, decade or so. You've spent a lot of your focus on the environment um, and um, nutrition. Absolutely, yes. I think fats are very healthy food. Of course, it has to be organic. That's essential. If the fats are derived from uh, GMO Roundup Ready, uh, crops like soybean, you know, soybean oil and canola mm. oil, sunflower, sunflower oil, those are all derived from crops that are sprayed with glyphosate. So the oil is going to have glyphosate in it and that makes it not healthy anymore. But if you're eating, you know, grass fed beef and um, wild caught fish and um, oysters and clams, they're all wonderful. Uh, uh, shrimp, you know, um, all, the, all the seafood. Yeah, I mean, Very I try. I, for example, I would, I would try, or my wife would try, uh, uh, cooking with coconut oil or butter, uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to canola or sunflower. You know, the, those sorts of oils are generally in, in our home considered bad. I agree. I agree. In fact, we use uh, organic lard and butter mostly for oils for cooking. Yeah. So glyphosate is a is an herbicide. It kills weeds. In fact, it kills all plants except for those that have been engineered to resist it through GMO technology. So they put a bacterial gene into the plant genome that allows it to, uh, to produce a version of the enzyme that's not sensitive to glyphosate, and that allows the plant to thrive. So this has been a great um, so-called success story in, uh, in, in, crop, in growing crops because it made it much, much easier to control the weeds. You basically you know, grow these engineered crops, and then you spray the crop with glyphosate, it doesn't die. The weeds all weeds all get killed, so you don't have to hire a bunch of people to pull weeds. So it, it really reduces the cost of agriculture. That's the big advantage, and they're claiming that you can't feed feed the world without it. You know, uh, Monsanto, Bayer now is the owner of Monsanto. You know, they bought Monsanto, so Bayer is now the manufacturer. And um, glyphosate is the most common herbicide in, on the planet. The United States uses more per person than any other country in the world. And the United States has an epidemic in all kinds of nasty diseases like diabetes, obesity, Alzheimer's, autism, uh, gut, you know, various gut problems, liver disease, uh, kid, kidney disease, all these problems that we're facing, heart disease in this country, um, causing us to have a huge health care cost and not being able to get ahead of it. You know, not to, we can't figure out how to afford health care in our country. And all of that, I think, is tied not just to glyphosate, although I think glyphosate's a major player, and there's many other chemicals that we use on our food as well, and generally, you know, in our lifestyle, Americans are just very trigger happy when it comes to, to chemicals, and these are all, you know, things that are manufactured in the chemical plant. They're not natural. It makes a huge difference when something's not natural. Of course, the drugs are the same way. You mm. have all these not natural drugs that are patented. They're also toxic because there's also crops that are not genetically modified, and they're sprayed right before harvest, and that includes wheat, for example. 
wheat is the uh, it has the gluten, and we have an epidemic in gluten intolerance in the, in our country. I think that's directly tied to the glyphosate content in the wheat, and uh, wheat and um, oats and uh, is it? I'm sorry, wheat and uh, <laughs> yes, uh, wheat and oats and um, and and garbanzo beans and chickpeas and um, uh, barley, they're all sprayed with glyphosate right before harvest. And also the sunflower seeds, sapphire seeds. So a mm. whole bunch of different things are sprayed right before harvest as a desiccant to dry out the, the crop, synchronize the yield so that the, uh, the, the, the crop all goes to seed at the same time you increase the yield um, and, and make it easier to clear the crop after you're done because it, it, it's already sort of dying fast. And, and so what you're suggesting is that the evidence um is 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 showing an increased correlation in various illnesses and 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 health problems right exactly there's a very very strong correlation it's perfect match really for example between the rise in autism in this country and the rise in glyphosate usage on core crops and you know i've worked with other people we've done statistical analyses of all kinds of we've rummaged through databases looking for diseases that are going up dramatically this has been my game. You find a disease that's going up exactly in step with glyphosate, and then you try to find a mechanism to explain why glyphosate would cause that disease. And that's been uh, my path. And then I've basically, I've now produced a book. It's called Toxic Legacy, and it's going to have it right here. It's going to, um, it's going to be on the on the bookshelves in uh, July first, starting July first. This will be released uh, on, on by the major booksellers, and it'll be on Amazon. Oh yes, for sure. It's already actually available for pre-order on many booksellers, including Amazon. Yeah, so it. I mean, I worked hard on that book, and I tried really hard actually to simplify the science so it's not quite as overwhelming because there is a lot of science and it's hard science. So um, it's been. Yeah. I've been struggling with trying to reach the general public and yes, and to understand what's happening. Scientists love speaking sciency. Um, I and, know. I know. And and people like myself struggle. <laughs> Totally. I appreciate that. It doesn't mean that I'm good at doing it, but I try. I know and lots of times my interviewer will sort of stop me and hold back and say, no, let me, you know, hold on here. We don't understand. Can I summarize? Can I repeat what you said in some terms when you tell me if I'm right or not? That yes. sort of thing. So we sort of work it, work it through. And, and that's necessary, unfortunately. I wish that people were, more, were better informed. I'm actually shocked at how so few people, so few people know much about biology. People know very, very little about biology. I find it shocking, you know, even something like amino acids and proteins, it just feels so basic to me, and yet people sort of eyes goes over, you know. A major problem then with the education system. I think so. I think mm. there's, it's, it's inexcusable that they haven't taught this to the, to the children because it's really very basic to your, your health to be able to, under, to know something about how metabolism works is so crucial to be able to keep, keep healthy and then to recognize why you need to eat healthy foods, you know. Am, am I wrong? In, in thinking that just trying to be as healthy as possible, spending some time outside, going into the sun, walking the dogs on the beach, gymming, staying fit as much as possible, trying not to eat too much sugar. So these days, you can't say it because you, you're seen as a lunatic for saying that everything must be based around medicine and chemicals. Right. It's so strange, isn't it? Because what you say is exactly what I would say as to how to stay healthy. It sounds very simple and it's certainly safe. You're not doing anything dangerous. Mm. You know, you're just keep treating your body well. And um, and it um, frustrates me that everything's about drugs, you know. And even on the on the other side, you know, you have the mainstream medicine and then you have the natural path, but they're also prescribing all kinds of 
natural products that are basically drugs rather than foods. You know, they're sold in bottles and they're pills. I mean, it's not a natural food when it's mm. delivered that way. So even the things that are healthy, I think you should eat them from the plants rather than eating the, you know, the chemical that's been extracted from the plant. I mean, the whole food system is really in trouble. And, and of course, they're not paying attention, attention to the nutrients in the soil. That's another thing that I know people who are trying to um, find ways to be able to assess the nutritional value of, of food, say, say a head of lettuce, to see how much of the different vitamins does it have, you know, the different um, nutrients that would be important, the minerals, the vitamins, and the, um, the various anything that you could identify and to be able to say this is a really good head of lettuce compared to this one over here which is deficient you know to be able to speak about the nutritional value of the food from a from a standpoint of a of a chemical analysis of it there's ways you could do that sort of thing and because what's happening is we're not paying attention to how much sulfur for example you know how much vitamin c i mean how much is, is actually in this product you say tomatoes have vitamin c well there's two tomatoes here which one has more you know and that's probably the healthier tomato and the one that's healthier for you. Would I be wrong in saying that the one that looks worse is probably the healthier one? <laughs> that's probably true, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, we do focus on making our food look you know, beautiful and big, right? You know, big, big stalks of celery that have almost no taste. As you can get these very skinny, um, mm. scrawny-looking celery that are full of taste, and they've probably got more nutritional value than the big ones, you know? As you've pointed out, a, cor- a very strong correlation with more polluted areas, and then of course, sickness, and more recently, COVID. What? What? Oh, absolutely. Is that is that correct? Well, yes, and in fact, it's extremely interesting because it's only certain kinds of air pollution. This is what I found very surprising, and I've I've looked deep into this. Really, right when COVID first hit, I noticed, you know, the places where it was really on fire, in northern Italy, and in, in New York City, and in, in of course, uh, Wuhan, Brazil. the original place. All of them have a big problem with air pollution. And and in particular with air pollution connected with glyphosate is what I feel. I feel that it's because they're they're producing biofuels. And we're we're doing a big deal thing here with the biofuels, you know, because of climate change and because of oil. We want to try to reduce our consumption of oil. Europe, of course, oil is expensive, so they, they've been Europe has worked hard in the area of uh, producing biofuel and then putting those into the vehicles. And so, for example, you know, Brazil, for example, has trucks that run almost on pure alcohol, ethanol, which is derived from, you know, in their case, it's from sugar, but sugar mm-hmm. sprayed right before harvest with glyphosate. In our case, in the U.S., we have a lot of, we, we put ethanol in our gasoline, 10% routinely in our gasoline is ethanol, and the ethanol is derived from GMO Roundup Ready corn. So it's probably got glyphosate in it, and the glyphosate is probably evaporating. Um, before it reaches combustion. You know, combustion would, would, would wipe it out. It would turn yeah. it into, and actually combustion might make it toxic too because it's got nitrogen and phosphorus. Those are going to get into that air pollution as well. You know, nitrogen oxides, yeah. those are, are toxic. So, you know, I think that, and it's been shown that the biofuel uh, it, it is more toxic than the uh, regular oil in terms of people's reaction to it in terms of health issues. So, so I think so, it's the biofuel. So the biofuel industry could be tightly linked to increase that's what I think. illness. Yes, that's what I think. And actually, it's interesting because they had epidemics of, um, you know, the, guy, the uh, COVID-19 was flaring up in various uh, parts of the country, the western part of the country, where it had been pretty much nothing up until the, um, the fall, which was the harvest season. And that's when they'd spray the glyphosate on the crops. 
And in the harvest season, all of a sudden, these, these agricultural areas were getting hit hard by COVID-19. I think once you've got glyphosate in the air and you're breathing it, then it, it, it damages your lungs. It hurts your lungs' immune system so that when the virus comes your way, your body's not able to fight it off because of your glyphosate exposure. And I think it can be quite immediate, you know, that when you're breathing that glyphosate, you are susceptible to exposure to COVID that's going to really be a problem for you in the in the short term because of the glyphosate that's in your lungs at that time. I'm suspecting now. This is all theoretical, and I, you know, I haven't managed to get anybody to actually do the research to figure it out. But it looks very suspicious to me because the countries, very much systematically, the countries that are having a really hard time controlling COVID-19, are the same countries that use a lot of glyphosate and make a lot of biofuels. That's Brazil. United States, you know, various European countries, the Great Britain, they're all big on biofuels and big on glyphosate. And then you have countries like uh, Bhutan. Bhutan is a, you know, they, they naturally grow organic food for the most part. They eat whole foods, organic. Mm. They've got practically no COVID-19. It's not hitting them at all. Taiwan also. Taiwan also, that's right. Taiwan is not completely organic, but they've got very very healthy foods and lots of fermented foods. I mean, that's also crucial. I think the fermented foods are protective. And um, and Taiwan has had very, very few deaths, you know, a, a large population, only like, you know, just a handful of deaths. In fact, in fact, Nigeria is ex- is extremely interesting to me. And I looked into it because Nigeria is, you know, a pretty uh, they've got a population that would really be a, would normally you would think would be very susceptible to COVID-19. A lot of crowding in the cities, you know, in our country, blacks are much more susceptible than whites. They, they have a much higher risk of dying from COVID than whites do. Their, their population is almost fully black. Black people living in the city in crowded conditions, it's like a perfect storm for, for, for spreading mm. disease. And they also have extremely bad air pollution. But they don't have a problem with uh, with COVID particularly. It's oh, because they're not really developing biofuels. They have they have no biofuels and they have and they have much less use of glyphosate. I actually did a whole paper on um, on glyphosate related to Africa. It's a chapter in a book on um use of, of uh, well, gen- more generally agricultural chemicals in agriculture, um, toxic chemicals in agriculture. And Africa is way, you know, way, quote unquote, behind us in terms of the amount they use. They use much, much, much less glyphosate than we do. I think it's like a factor of 10 um, overall in Africa. And most of their foods are still grown by small f- farms. There's a real pressure from us to try to get them to straighten mm. that out and start making these mega farms that are going to produce toxic foods and make them sick. And I certainly hope my chapter was urging them to recognize that they are they have the talent they have the gift to teach to the west about how to grow food sustainably using small farms i think we need to go back to that in our country we desperately need to go back to that and i'm hoping we will but we need to follow africa's example because africa still knows how to do it whereas we don't we lost that skill yeah it's that it's 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 that blessing in disguise uh it's in this particular instance it's nice to be lagging (laughs) Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think if you can learn from our mistakes and not make those same mistakes, it would be awesome. But there doesn't seem to be a massive COVID nineteen problem, and, right. and 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 you finding the the link could be because of the lack of glyphosate in the pollution. That's that's exactly what I think. And in fact, I looked at the countries that had the highest pollution, and many of them. In fact, the highest pollution at the country level was not correlated, it was, it was inverse correlated. It had low COVID and high pollution, which is like, what? That's crazy. Mm. But those were also countries that were not using glyphosate. So their pollution has issues in it, but it doesn't have glyphosate. I think it's the glyphosate that's key. It's only air pollution in countries where there's, there's glyphosate and biofuels. 
that are where you see this strong correlation. In our country, you see a strong correlation. In fact, there have been papers out of both the U.S. and Europe where they've shown. If you look within the United States at individual counties, and, and some Harvard researchers did that, they found a strong correlation between the nitrogen oxides in the air, um, in the air pollution, as a function of county across the country, and the rates of COVID-19 death. So um, within our country, but then if you look at other countries with high pollution, they don't have the problem with the deaths, you know, you say, what's going on here? It's the glyphosate that makes the difference, I think. Um, and I'd love for someone to really prove that. But of course, glyphosate contains nitrogen. So when you burn glyphosate, you get nitrogen oxide. So the nitrogen oxide in the air could be a, uh, representing the glyphosate, you know, a hidden um, hint that the glyphosate's in the air as well. So and in fact, in Brazil, there was a study that showed glyphosate in the nanoparticles in the air. That, was, uh, that just came out quite amazing because they looked at the air part, nano, nanoparticles in the air in the places where the foods were being grown and the foods were being sprayed with glyphosate and then in the city. And they found that the level of glyphosate in the nanoparticles was higher in the city than it was in the places where the glyphosate was being applied. That's very interesting. From their satellite imagery that northern Italy was the most polluted part of Europe, Western Europe. Yes, I think that's true. And you can see there's that, that whole area there, uh, Lombardy region is like low lying and it's, sort of, it get, it's like Los Angeles in our country. It gets trapped because there's mountains around it. So the pollution gets trapped in the low lying areas. And with all the trucks that are going through there too, burning these biofuel gases, biofuel fuels like um, ethanol, but also um, biodiesel. There's a lot of biodiesel in Europe. But I mean, how do you respond when they say to you, well, you know, Australia, New Zealand are looking quite good because they locked down their borders? Well, I actually think that's true. And I actually didn't really believe it at first when I saw China. I mean, China is where it started. And yet China is doing incredibly well. But I, uh, but I know people who actually, uh, I know someone who came from China, who grew up there, and recently went back to China, and um, and we had to go through the whole routine of uh, protecting the, the the population through your through your efforts. So the the country is extremely careful. When people, first of all, they have to get the COVID test, you know, and they have to um, they have to uh, go immediately into quarantine when they arrive. All these hazmat mm. suits show up to usher them over to a, a, a an apartment that that the government has chosen. You have to stay inside that apartment for two weeks. You can't leave. And then after that, you have to go to it. She had to go to a whole month of, of lockdown, two weeks in, where she landed. And then she went to Be, Be, then to, on to Beijing, where she was trying to get to another two weeks there. So they, they're so careful to make sure. And anytime the city, like a town is acting, you know, it's perfectly happy. All of a sudden there's a couple of cases of COVID and then the whole thing gets shut down. I mean, China is like, they just go in there with a massive, you know, ruling and everybody just obeys and uh, lock down the city borders. I mean, it's just this really overreach kind of approach to make sure that the virus doesn't spread. And, you know, that can work, but you can't do that forever. I mean, in a way, I think the United States is in better shape than China right now because we've already got large numbers of people who have immunity. They've developed antibodies just because they've been exposed. So I think you need to let it loose. I don't think you can fight something like this. It's going to have to eventually reach all the countries. And the way to fight it is to stay healthy. Get your people out in the sunlight. Get that vitamin D because vitamin D deficiencies clearly link to bad outcomes. And also vitamin D gets disrupted by glyphosate because the enzyme that activates it in the liver is suppressed by glyphosate. So we have a massive vitamin D deficiency problem in this country, and that's connected to bad outcomes with COVID. The vaccines combined with the glyphosate are causing the autism epidemic. Autism is not 
that those aren't the only things that cause autism, but I think those are what's causing the epidemic, combination of the vaccines and the glyphosate. I feel very confident, particularly the glyphosate. And I've, I've really, and I have a lot to say about autism in my book. And I talk about the mechanisms by which glyphosate would cause autism. It, there's a lot, there's a lot of papers on autism and they're really, they're recognizing it's a very complicated disease with lots of other things going on besides just, you know, being uh, cognitively impaired and unable to talk in many cases, completely unable to form speech. Um, yeah, it's very sad. These kids have, are very disabled, um, but they have a lot of gut issues. Is it not necessarily the vaccine, but the glyphosate that's in the vaccine? Well, I think that's a key part. And I really wonder about that because the MMR vaccine in particular, as you probably know, has been linked to autism. It's mm. a very controversial topic with Andy Wakefield, you know, going through a lot of uh, yes. <laughs> censorship. I mean, they've really painted him as being uh, somebody. There's, Some, there's a, a, a lunatic worship yeah. following there, but also the opposite side. So he's very, people are very polarized around Andy Wakefield, but he was the one who, and he recognized the gut problem too. And I read his, his paper was amazing, the one that got retracted. Um, identifying how the, the gut dysbiosis causes these um, toxins to be released by these you know organisms growing in the gut, these pathogens, and those toxins go into the brain and they disrupt the brain function. And uh, I think he's he's completely right on that. And um, it, you know it's complicated science, all the things that go wrong, but it's uh, but it really very very closely matches glyphosate, and it's really because glyphosate preferentially kills beneficial bacteria. Uh, leaving a vacuum where the pathogens then take over and then the immune cells get involved and you get inflammation in the gut, you get leaky gut. They have a lot of issues with constipation and diarrhea. They have a lot of pain, a lot of gas. All of that is connected to the disruption of the gut microbiome by the glyphosate. That the MMR vaccine can be safe if if they removed certain chemicals am i or am i getting this wrong yeah well i don't know actually but i'm suspecting in fact the thing is that glyphosate was found in the mmr vaccine it was found in several vaccines consistently in live virus vaccines right and mmr had the highest amount by far of all the vaccines so that looks like a smoking gun that the glyphosate in the vaccine could be a really critical aspect of what makes it so toxic but i i think vaccines are a problem in general and i'm you know very upset about the covid-19 vaccine but the MMR is quite interesting because it, it has these proteins that are uh, produced by the virus and those proteins. And so the body has to develop antibodies to those proteins. But those antibodies can then become autoantibodies through something called molecular mimicry because you have your own proteins that look similar. It's like the, um, the antibody is nearsighted. It can't quite see. Right. Right. And it starts attacking your brain. It starts attacking the myelin sheath in your brain because... It thinks that's the virus, basically. It's developed, you know, the vaccine has forced you to develop the antibodies to the virus protein. And then those antibodies are attacking human proteins. And that's what's going on, I think, with the autism. It, it, the myelin sheath is getting attacked by, it's, a, you know, human antibodies produced that are attacking the myelin sheath in the brain and causing their fibers to be damaged. So you wouldn't recommend so, MMR? I actually at this point wouldn't recommend any vaccine. It took me a while to get to that point. To be honest, my children were almost fully vaccinated. I only started to realize the problems back in the early 1980s when my last son was getting sort of his last of his Yeah, vaccines. I'm also vaccinated, and so you're making me scared. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get the COVID vaccine? No, 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 no. No, no, don't, don't, don't swear on my show, please. <laughs> well, I am fascinated by this COVID vaccine. That's been my latest obsession, and I'm please, really, really nervous about it. Please tell it. me a little bit about your concerns around that. 
Yeah, it's really hard to know where to begin. But I, I was, I, you know, as soon as I found out they were rushing this to market, I was stunned because I knew that it was a very new technology with many, many unknowns. And to, to just declare it safe because you haven't looked is extremely reckless. And now that they're pushing it, aggressively pushing it on the entire world, certainly in our country, tremendous pressure to get it. People are, children can't play basketball unless they get the vaccine. I mean, it's just really, really uh, overreach, a tremendous overreach on something that they have not properly studied by any means to know exactly what it's doing. And we're seeing all kinds of very shocking side effects that are showing up from people getting these vaccines. And I've been very interested in trying to figure out what's going on. And so I've done a lot of reading, you know, even the research literature that was published by the people who made the vaccine. So I learned exactly how they're made and how much they do that's not natural in terms of how they mm -hmm. manipulate the molecules that go into it to make them different from what the natural version would be in ways that will uh, force the person to make those antibodies. So the, the, um, the industry is focused on the, the single-minded goal of getting you to produce antibodies to the spike protein. The spike protein is the major protein in the, in the coat. The virus has this protein coat that's mostly made out of spike protein. And that's the protein that uh, you normally develop antibodies to that allow you to quickly uh, clear the virus. So the antibodies are just like shining a light on the virus. Oh, here's a particle, go get it. It helps the immune cells to clear the virus. And so if you have those, so the idea is you want to make sure you've got those antibodies ready to go so that when you get exposed to mm. COVID, it'll quickly be cleared. That's the whole concept of the vaccine. Yeah. But you know, it's a, it's a very, very new technology, but this concept of giving you the RNA, that's the, that's the actual genetic code that the virus has. Mm. The virus carries this RNA and you've just picked out just that spike protein, not the whole virus, just the spike protein. You put it inside this package that has things like polyethylene glycol and cationic lipids. I mean, these things are really toxic. So you, I mean, your body can react to them very negatively and it's going to cause an immune reaction just because of those other things like those cationic lipids. They're going to make your immune cells really upset and they're going to start releasing all this, all these signals that are going to draw in more immune cells and they're going to come in and they're going to take up that that vaccine and then they're going to do very bad things with it in terms of harming your health right so what 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 you're saying is that the COVID vaccine can potentially actually make you ill absolutely and that's because the spike protein is probably the most dangerous thing in the in the virus and you're teaching your cells to make it and potentially to make lots of it because you've done a very good job of making sure that rna can't be broken down normally the rna is very quickly cleared you've got enzymes in your body everywhere that are going to just break it down right away. That's why they have to keep it at a really cold temperature. It's very fragile. And then they have to, and then they modify the RNA. They, they make, they turn, there's a whole bunch of changes they make to the RNA with a goal of making it both sturdier so that it can't be broken down and more prolific at producing protein. So they've, they've rigged the RNA in interesting ways to make it um, more effective at making lots of spike protein. So they're trying to make your cells go on overdrive to make lots and lots of spike protein because they really want those immune cells to be able to see it, make the antibodies be done. You know, they're very single-minded on that. But the problem is spike protein is extremely toxic, and that's what we've been seeing. It's a prion protein. Prion proteins cause these, all these nasty neurodegenerative diseases. And when you make lots of a prion protein, that's when you get in trouble with it misfolding. You know, the um, mad cow, which is the um, which made prion diseases famous. They're very uh, interesting diseases that are caused by proteins, not by DNA. They're not, they're not by live, it's not a live organism, it's just a protein. But that's what the spike protein is. It's a, it's a prion protein that can actually trigger a whole sequence that will, down the road, probably years from now, you'll get ALS or um, 
or um, Parkinson's disease or um, Creutzfeldt's Jakob disease, CKD. That's these are all very nasty degenerative diseases where you become crippled. Yeah, I mean, I was just about to ask you. Um, everybody, including Elon Musk, recently has been saying that it's the negative side effects um, are in the absolute minority, very rare. It's it's almost never. Um, if these problems occur down the line, how do you connect it to to the vaccine? That's a huge problem, I think. And of course, the vaccine makers are not going to want us to connect it to the vaccine. And they can always blame the disease as well. So I think they're going to be able to get off the hook. I think what we're going to be seeing is people getting these nasty diseases like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and ALS. They're going to get them. More people are going to get them and they're going to get them earlier in life. You know, someone who might have gotten Parkinson's at 75 years old gets it at 65 years old. You know, you're going to you're going to pay the price in the future for um, for being subjected to these vaccines in the present time. And um, and that's not going to be something that's easy to connect. And because COVID also causes those things, because it is also producing a spike protein, they can always point the finger at the disease and say it's not the vaccine that caused it, it's the disease. Right. So they can always get off the hook, which is really unfortunate. It's very hard for us to prove that this is what's happening. You can see it very specifically. Um, you know, people are getting nasty responses to the to the vaccine that can be explained by the toxicity of the spike protein, because that protein in, and they've also recently a lot of things have been coming out very recently to show that uh, well, there's a very exciting thing that's come out of Pfizer, and it's been leaked. It's a, it's a confidential. Pfizer document. Have you heard about this yet? Yes, I, I think of, I, I think I know what you're talking about. I saw it this morning. Please, please go on. Y- yes, there's a 10 minute um, uh, podcast that I listened to this morning, but I knew about it before that. I've been getting information from my friends, and it's very, very interesting because I was aware. I in my, I wrote a paper. You know, I wrote a paper together with Greg Nye where we talked about um, how the vaccine travels, the spike protein from the vaccine is picked up, it's injected into the muscle in the arm. And, and, you know, you're presuming that it's going to just stay there and some things are going to happen. You're going to get your, your antibodies and you'll be done. But that isn't what happens in practice. In, in practice, what happens is the immune cells go in there, they pick up that, that vaccine and they carry it into your lymph system. And you can get swollen uh, lymph nodes under your arm, which is an indicator of breast cancer. People have been having trouble with having these symptoms of breast cancer and finding oh, out it's just the vaccine. But then it goes through the lymph system, it gets to the spleen. And I knew about that. And I talked a lot about the spleen in our paper that we wrote, because the spleen is a very, um, it's a wonderful place to make antibodies. So they're very happy. The vaccine makers are very happy. It goes straight to the spleen and ends up there in high concentration. Um, what I hadn't realized and what I learned from this Japanese thing is that it also goes to the ovaries and it goes to the adrenal glands. Absolutely. And I knew about the liver, but it's the adrenal glands and the ovaries, very high levels, the spleen and the liver, those four. And that is extremely disturbing, especially, I mean, the adrenal, those are both really, really important organs involved with the hormonal system. And of course, the ovaries is going to be reproduction. So yes. I think it, you can imagine infertility problems. I mean, I can think of a lot of things that would be really bad with this idea of having this toxic spike protein in the ovaries, you know, in the adrenal glands causing trouble. So is taking this COVID vaccine, is it pretty much playing Russian roulette? Absolutely. Absolutely it is. Yeah, that's what I would call it. So Rosie wants to know, uh, would it be true to say that if you live in a sunny climate and have plenty of sunshine, but you are still vitamin D deficient, uh, you are possibly taking in glucophosphate. 
uh, I think she means glyphosate. Probably. I think that's Glucophosphate, what she means. Yes. She probably means glyphosate. I think it's absolutely the case. I think, and in fact, I know uh, people who have said, "I never tan." You know, there's a problem with mel- melanin as well with glyphosate. So they'll say, I, "I go out in the sun, I just burn, I never tan." Right. And then I don't pick up the vitamin D. So it's like it's not working. And and the problem is glyphosate's messing up a lot of the stuff that's involved with making vitamin D and keeping it in your blood. So it's um, I think that um that's that's directly the case that sunlight no longer works for you in fact it even becomes dangerous because you know melanin is a protective agent against the uv rays yeah and um and so you naturally produce melanin as a protection but if you're not uh, able to produce melanin then the, the sunlight becomes toxic you end yeah. up with skin cancer and meanwhile you didn't get your vitamin d so right. your whole system isn't working because you're being poisoned and i think that's happening to lots of people <laughs> yeah round is a household word in the united states because people know about it they go get it to kill the dandelions in their yard or to clean up their walkway you know um and so it's just a, it's just a formulation of, of glyphosate i don't know what formulations are, are common in south africa i do know you guys use quite a bit and i think south africa uses more roundup more glyphosate than any other country in africa you have um, the gmo roundup ready maize <laughs> so we do have a lot of genetically modified food here um and that's yes. that's obviously then concerning because i just going back to that i guess is just we would need to find farmers markets um, and yes. try and is, you, you're a fan of that. I am. Absolutely. Yes. It's a wonderful thing about Kauai because we have many farmers markets that we go through to throughout the week. And even we have sort of a direct farm to table arrangement where we buy directly from a farm. A number of okay. people have said that correlation is not causation and uh, you, mm-hmm. you make a lot of correlations. Right. No, I agree with that. Correlation is not always causation, but you know, when you're looking for, uh, something that could be causing something, the first place you would start is with correlation. And in fact, that was something that I, I, I paid attention to with respect to autism because you know there was a, a sense that lead could be causing autism because lead is very toxic and does cause the kinds of things that you see in autism. Mm. But lead has been going down, not up, over time as autism is going up. I mean, you, the very first thing you need to know is, is it correlated? Because if it's not correlated, you can pretty much dismiss it as not being the cause. If it is correlated, now you need to ask, how could you explain that correlation through a mechanism? Mm. And then what is that mechanism? And that's where I, I start with correlation. Once I see it, then I start to look at how could glyphosate cause the things that you see in autism to explain the pathology according to what that chemical does. And that's where I really get a lot of, uh, I think, extra credit for mm. not just using correlation, but actually using science to explain why that chemical would cause those things that you see in the autistic kids. It's so frustrating that they won't listen. And of course, the, the mess with autism, you know, we've got one in 54 kids with autism in this country at, at 12 year olds and, and worse for the kids younger than 12, worse than that. It's just a huge number of kids that are suffering from autism. And our government doesn't seem to think it's a problem. I don't understand why they don't think it's a problem. Well, there's certainly too much money being made. And the thing is that's really incredible is how the industry has managed to uh, work it out with the government such that the industry is not liable. So when people start dying after the, after the vaccine, it's not the mm. industry's fault. They don't have to pay for any compensation for those people. It's all on the head of the government. And they, they worked that out in the United States in 1986. There was a law that was passed by, by, by uh, Reagan. Mm. President Reagan and um, that law has held firm since then and that law says basically the vaccine makers are not liable so no matter what the kind of damage your child suffers from a vaccine um, the company's scot-free they don't have to worry about it which is just shocking to me 
And so the governments are so certain that we can't live without these vaccines that they're willing to make these kinds of outrageous, um, you know, ways to, to keep the company safe so the company can make tons of money without any worry. Whereas, for example, glyphosate, they're becoming worried enough about glyphosate that Bayer is starting to think about maybe we better not sell glyphosate to the United States for residential use because all these residential exposures are causing lawsuits. You know, they're getting Gee. a lot of trouble with lawsuits. And so their answer is going to be, well, we just won't sell it to those people, which would be great as far as I'm concerned. If, it, if we get rid of it through lawsuits, that's okay with me. But, you know, with the vaccines, they, they don't have that problem. Lots, yeah, they're lots immune. Of people can die and the, and the company will still make tons of money. And they are making huge amounts of money on these vaccines. And they will also make a lot of money on the diseases, I believe, that these vaccines cause. These are very costly diseases that people are going to develop, I believe, uh, with greater prevalence because of having been exposed to this vaccine. I saw a tweet um, from, I think it was 2018 or 2019, from Bill Gates. And he said his best investment ever vaccines mm -hmm. yes i saw that too and he's probably right i mean it's probably the case and of course these companies i mean they're just Gavi. really yeah huge amounts of money um so of course that's also causing them to want want to make sure right. that we buy into it and i'm really frustrated in this country by the censorship i don't know what it's like there but we're getting enormous censorship of any information that's coming out about various injuries as a consequence yes, of these also, vaccines yes yeah um, and uh, Facebook pretty much is is a country on its own. Um, yes. <laughs> the toxins from various vaccines, including COVID, can be passed on to, say, your offspring. If, let's say a ah, mother... Okay, you're asking, yeah, you're asking specifically about that RNA, and that is something that I found really, really fascinating. And that's Judy Mikovits' territory because she talks about reverse transcriptase which is, you know, these retroviruses that produce reverse transcriptase, which allows RNA to get converted to DNA. Normally, you think of DNA goes to RNA goes to protein as a sort of basic, yeah, DNA goes to <laughs> RNA goes to protein. But in fact, RNA can go back to DNA. Right. And it's reverse transcriptase is the enzyme that makes that happen. And then there's also other enzymes that can take that DNA and put it into the human genome. So the, all those enzymes exist in theory to be able to convert the RNA into DNA, put it into the human genome. The question is whether it happens in practice. And that's where I read a lot of papers and we wrote about it in the paper that Greg Nye and I wrote. Uh, we wrote about um, theoretically and, and very interesting paper that we found on sperm that showed that these sperm could take in foreign messenger RNA, which is what this vaccine is. They could take it in, convert it to DNA. They had this reverse transcriptase, convert it to DNA, package it up into little plasmids. They're called plasmids. They're little pa packets of DNA containing the DNA of the spike protein in the case if it were this protein that got converted, shipping them out during fertilization. The sperm come in and they release all these plasmids and then the fertilized egg takes them up. They can be from all kinds of sperm, not just the one that fertilized the egg. Now, they're all providing these plasmids and, mm. the, and, the, and the fertilized egg takes up those plasmids and makes it part of their own uh, repertoire. And then those plasmids can self-duplicate, so they can reproduce. They can make more plasmids. And, and then, then, then the organism, the fetus, can just put those plasmids all over their body and maintain them throughout their lifespan and even pass them on to their children. So, yes, it can become... And then those plasmids can actually get integrated eventually into the human genome and end up part of our DNA. So in, the, in theory, that could happen. We could end up uh, producing kids that are able to uh, produce the spike protein throughout their life 
and also that will not be uh, able to develop antibodies to it because they'll think it's their own protein. So they won't be able to develop antibodies if they get exposed to COVID-19. And by extension, can the damage or the toxicity caused by glyphosate uh, be passed on? Yes, well, that's extremely interesting. And in fact, you know, there's been some really, there have been a lot of good studies out just in the last few years about glyphosate. I think the the researchers are getting more interested in glyphosate because they're realizing that it's much more toxic than we had thought, and therefore they're studying it. And uh, one thing very interesting, several papers have come out now where they exposed pregnant rats to glyphosate at low doses. Doses that were below regulatory limits, doses that were so low the rat didn't get sick, they didn't see any evidence Mm. of harm. The offspring seemed fine. They grew up, they had offspring. They started to see some trouble in their reproduction. And then the next generation, so things got worse and worse with each generation. The first generation, second generation, third generation, they, they got they got disease. They got various, uh, you know, reproductive issues. And I think, uh, I forget other problems. You know, they had health problems that were mm. very clearly traced from that exposure to their great-great-grandmother. I mean, it's just amazing that this... Uh, the glyphosate goes straight to the germline, the, the, the embryo. The, the female embryo already has her own germ cells in place very early during the pregnancy. It's quite fascinating. So the first thing the embryo does before it's even a human being, it makes its next generation Gee. on the female side. It's quite interesting. So those eggs are very vulnerable to chemicals. It appears that they're easily um, exposed to the chemicals that the mother is exposed to during pregnancy. And then they remember that exposure through something called epigenetics. They actually change their, um, they, 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 they change the way they, they modify the, their uh, genome in ways that allow them to remember. And then they use that memory down the line to change policy and end up with disease. You've also spoken about insects dying and it affecting the environment. Right. No, it's very sad to see. I mean, the bees, you know, it's catastrophic for the bees. We've got this bee colony collapse syndrome. And we rely on the bees to uh, for fertilization of the you know of the uh, crops, and um, and uh, we you know we we seem to be unable to recognize that glyphosate's a major player there. We have other chemicals that are causing trouble for the bees as well, such as chlorpyrifos, you know, the various insecticides. But um, but studies are starting to show that glyphosate is working synergistically with these other chemicals to harm the bees. And that's again, it gets into the gut. I mean, there've actually been some interesting studies where they've shown that the gut microbiome of the bees gets messed up by the glyphosate and critical um, and in fact they critically depend on uh, lactobacillus just as we do and the lactobacillus are getting harmed by the glyphosate and that's causing them to have um, that ends up causing them to have memory problems that are a bit like autism I think I think it's maybe oh, like the autism yeah and they, they don't they don't know how to get back you know like they have the bees oh, that are shame. in the truck you know they, and then they can't they lose the ability to get back to the uh, truck and they just fly away Oh, that's terrible. After they, and it's, but it's not just bees, yeah. though. I think you also mentioned butterflies. No, butterflies. Yeah, butterflies are. It's just a disaster with the monarch butterfly. We used to have so many of them. I used to see them all the time when I was growing up. They they would come through. They were beautiful, you know, and um, they've been decimated, uh, just killed, just really killed off. And they eat um, uh, milkweed. Milkweed is a, is a major food source for them, and milkweed is also a. a a weed that grows in the GMO Roundup Ready crops. Ooh, there we go. So they're spraying the milkweed with glyphosate, and then the bees are. First of all, their food is vanishing, but also they're eating poison when they eat the food. They're eating glyphosate, and it's messing up the the uh, butterflies. I'm sorry, the butterflies in the same way. It's, it's messing up the bees. And I think I heard you and, once and, uh, in an interview mention frogs also. 
Frogs also, that's right. Frogs have a very, very sensitive, tadpoles are very sensitive because they have this very thin, they take up a lot of, they get the water, uh, their water through their skin. Their skin is very permeable mm. and they're very sensitive to toxic chemicals in the water. And, um, and there, there have been experiments that have shown that they just get devastated. Their, their development is all messed up, you know, tadpoles. And you get um, monster versions of them. They get genetic mutations and, uh, and, of course, reproductive issues and developmental issues, just all kinds of problems with the tadpoles uh, with reasonably low exposure to glyphosate. And, and you, you're confident that it can all be traced back to glyphosate? Well, obviously, there's all these other chemicals that have bad effects as well. So, for example, atrazine is another uh, herbicide, very much like glyphosate. You know, it's been considered to be considerably more toxic than glyphosate in general, but it's not been, people haven't been aware of exactly how toxic it is. And um, there's Tyrone Hayes is a a professor, I think, at uh, uh, Berkeley. I'm not sure Berkeley or Stanford, in some prestigious school in California, Tyrone Hayes. And he uh, has really, he's looked, he's looked deep into atrazine the way I've looked deep into glyphosate. Mm. But he's done actual experiments, and he's shown that atrazine causes frogs, for example. It turns male frogs into females. It really messes up, specifically with respect to glyphosate. And I have a whole chapter in, mm. in my book on, reprodu- on reproductive issues. And, um, and there's actually been a very recent paper that came out that showed um, anomalies in the um, in the genitals of, of female children that were born to mothers that had high glyphosate in their urine mid-pregnancy. So they actually did a study uh, on a bunch of pregnant women. They measured the level of glyphosate in the middle of the pregnancy in their in their urine. And then they looked specifically for a signal in the, in the gen- genitals of these daughters. Um, and there's a signal they know about that it indicates high testosterone exposure during, sure. uh, during when you're in, in utero. And they found this correlation, and this and this this uh, feature is also associated with much higher risk of having developing polycystic ovary syndrome (PCOS) as an as an adult. And polycystic ovary syndrome is very common. It turns out these days. I heard I was shocked to hear something like twenty percent of women uh, have have uh, characteristics of PCOS, and that is the most common uh, factor causing uh, reproductive issues, infertility. Yeah. <laughs> is there light at the end of the tunnel? I know. I mean, that's what I would like to know. I feel like we have to wake up um, the population, and that's what I'm trying to do. Talking to people like you, I appreciate you for um, you know putting this up and trying to get people to listen. I mean, people need to find out. They need to become aware. They need to then make take action. I think individuals, every individual has power, and we need to, all of us collectively, start only buying certified organic food. And then in terms of what we eat, you know, to make sure to buy healthy food, whole food you know don't buy processed foods and uh, organic food and you know buy from your local farmer get to know your farmer make sure they're not using chemicals there's ways you know but we need to all of us make a concerted effort and also to recognize i think that we need to um to return to healthy food in order to help climate change as well because really there's a lot of uh, carbon that gets captured into the soil through the plants that are growing and glyphosate messes that up as well it actually disrupts an enzyme that's involved with photosynthesis so that's going to prevent carbon capture, which is going to increase the exposure to, to these gases that are connected with, um, with our problems with climate change. So, I mean, it's really, there's nothing bad about organic food. Just get rid of the chemicals and not just glyphosate, all the chemicals on the foods, grow them organically, learn how to do that sustainably, renewably, mm. economically. And we, we can, you know, we can put our, our brains to work on trying to find out how to do that efficiently. 
and we need to be doing that. The government should be investing in that too. You know, instead of investing in these GMO crops, they should be um, help in helping these people to be able to do the research that's necessary to figure out how to grow the food efficiently without using chemicals. You know, personally, it's very simple. I think just to eat whole foods or get certified organic foods or organic mm. foods. You know, know your farmer, local foods. Um, get out in the sunlight uh, a lot without sunscreen and without glasses, without sunglasses. Because oh. sunlight exposure to the eyes is also important for your health. And that's, oh, that's important interesting. for the brain health. Yeah, so I, I, I don't wear glasses when I'm outside. That is very that I've never heard that. So, in other words, are you saying that it's better not to wear sunglasses when you're outside? I think so. It's quite amazing for me because I've, I, you know, I, I don't wear sunglasses and I'm outside a lot, so I've gotten lots of sun exposure to my eyes, and my eyes are in really great shape. I don't even wear glasses. I, I my vision is quite good, and and I don't have any problems with you know uh, cataracts or any of that stuff. Yeah, and I actually feel very upset when I see a little two-year-old wearing sunglasses because the children really need the sunlight exposure to the eyes. It's actually reaching the pineal gland, and it triggers the synthesis of of sulfate by the pineal gland, which is essential for distributing melatonin to the brain. So there's really critical reasons why you need to get exposure to the but to what's Stephanie, happening behind the eyes. But, I mean, I was always told growing up that the sun can harm your eyes, which is why you need to protect know, your eyes. which is really ironic, isn't it, that I'm saying the opposite. Yeah. I, again, I think that it's a problem with glyphosate because glyphosate actually gets into the eyes and damages them and, and interferes with their ability to, just like it does with the skin. And the melanin issue, it, it interferes with the ability of the body to respond to the sunlight in an appropriate way. So the sun becomes toxic because of the glyphosate. When you're poisoned with glyphosate and probably other chemicals as well, your eyes become unable to make use of the sunlight in the way they normally would. And then yeah. you start producing these reactive oxygen species that cause damage to your eyes. So it's very tricky. You need to be healthy eating first. And then with healthy eating, you, your eyes are not going to be upset by the sunlight. Uh, low carbohydrates and a slightly higher fat intake is good. Would you Would you agree with that? I absolutely do. And in fact, I think uh, healthy fats are saturated fats. And that's one thing to also that we've been taught incorrectly that saturated fats are bad but they are actually not reactive. Unsaturated fats are sensitive to reactive oxygen and they can produce toxic products as a consequence of, of, um, of dangerous oxygen, um, you know, reactive oxygen species they're caused, called, uh, which are a consequence of inflammation. You know, we, so we get a lot of inflammation because of glyphosate and the inflammation with the unsaturated fats is a problem, whereas saturated fats are healthy. And so um, I, I use uh, organic lard for cooking and also butter. I really like butter and organic lard. And I also like um, um, sour cream and um, and coconut. Coconut oil is a good is a good oil. Other vegetable oils that are not as 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 good. Um, certainly not canola oil and um, soybean right. oil and, and of course sunflower if oil when they're derived from the crops that are sprayed with right. Crops. And and of course if it's meat free range. Free range, yes, absolutely. Grass-fed beef, uh, very healthy. And I, I really like, um, I think that all the seafoods are very, very healthy. The, uh, this, they have so many nutrients. You need a lot of B vitamins. You need a lot of minerals. Glyphosate messes up the minerals in your body. Mm. So you need to really eat foods that are rich in minerals. And, and eggs, organic eggs is a really good choice, not too expensive. Uh, you know, I'll have a baked potato and put lots of butter, lots of sour cream, and just a little bit of potato. Right. So it makes the potato much healthier that way. <laughs> One person is saying, but if she doesn't put on sunscreen, Stephanie, she burns to a crisp because she's got a very fair skin. What? Right. what how do you deal with that? 
That's an issue. That's definitely an issue. And again, I, I mean, there are people, of course, who come from Ireland, at, uh, very, uh, very little protection, natural protection, mm. don't have a lot of melanin in their skin. And that probably makes them, mm. it, it does make it be a problem. So you can't just, you certainly don't want to burn. You, you don't, you don't want to burn. So you have to be careful to, um, I, you should be able to build up a tan over time, which is what I, I think people should do is to develop a tan in the spring when the sun is not as harsh. So they're ready for the summer sun. Then they can be out in the summer sun and not get burned as long as they've got that tan. Melanin is a product of the shikimate pathway, which glyphosate just drops. So right. your, your shikimate pathway in the, in the microbes is what's producing the precursors that allow you to make melanin. So you're going to have a melanin deficiency problem if you're being exposed to glyphosate. You have a crystal ball in front of you. What do you see? <laughs> well, you know, I think humans have, are at a at a branch point right now and they can go one of two ways and the one way will be just to continue as we're doing wipe out all life on earth wipe out ourselves you know maybe there'll be a few species left still living when we're gone and they'll be able to rebuild you know really grim i think that's the path we're on right now and it's really going to lead to tremendous disaster or we can wake up recognize that what we're doing is not working change our ways, get rid of toxic chemicals, you know, go back to natural agricultural methods, uh, small farms, um, and eat healthy food and get out in the sunlight and um, exercise, you know, all these good things that you've mentioned to stay healthy, that if we focus on just living a healthy lifestyle, uh, we will be so much better off. We'll be a lot happier and we'll have a lot fewer health issues and uh, the healthcare costs will go way down and mm -hmm. the industry will not be happy, but the rest of us will. <laughs> So we have a choice, and I think it's pretty clear what we need to do if we if we want to long term save our species. We need to do it. Perhaps you will you will come back in a in a few weeks or months time. That would be nice. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you have an absolutely awful day in Hawaii. I hope it <laughs> rains and it's windy. <laughs> uh, my name is Jim. This is Jim Warfare. The Battle of Ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.